10 to 1, episode 31. Top 10 Bible Characters. Welcome to 10 to 1, a podcast where we make top 10 lists about everything. I'm Brian Kozer. And I'm Melissa Kozer. And it's been a while since we did a biblically related episode. And so today I thought we'd talk about what our favorite characters in the Bible are. Uh, I kind of ranked mine based on how inspiring they are and also kind of how cool I think their stories are. <laughs> okay, I just ranked mine by... How much I like them. Yeah, I li- how much I like them, too, and how <laughs> relatable they are. Uh, uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, I picked all the relatable ones. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Is Samson on your list? Of course. Absalom. <laughs> <laughs> don't get me started. <laughs> Why don't you get started? All right. Number 10 for me is Samuel. Samuel the prophet and I put him on there I like the how we have kind of the story of his life starting out as a young boy I I guess you start with his story even before he's born right it's kind of neat to hear about his mother dedicating him to God's service Mm -hmm. and then him growing up there in the temple serving God there and uh, not a very good father apparently but it was a pretty good prophet and the last judge. It's kind of cool. Kind of the end of an era. I should in the era yeah. of the kings. And I like the part uh, where he, uh, where Saul decides he's not going to uh, completely kill off. I think that all the Edomites, like God told him to, mm. he saves the king of the Edomites. And Was it Edom? I thought it was Amalek. Maybe. And so when uh, Saul decides he's not going to kill the king, Samuel uh, decides to do it for him and takes a sword and I know, that's whack, pretty, whack. pretty crazy part. Yep. So, and even though he's pretty old man at that point. Yeah. So. Still got a fighter spirit. Yeah, it seems like he would be a, a good old man, advisor, judge, prophet to have around. Yeah, and I like how even after God has told Samuel that, uh, you know, I want you to go find me a new king. I'm not interested in Saul anymore. Uh, you know, you can still see that Saul uh, Samuel's heart is still towards Saul. He really wants Saul to succeed. And uh, I just, I just kind of like that, how he... You know, this was the kind of the first king that he'd helped to set up over Israel, and he really wanted it to work out for for Saul. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yes, it was the Amalekites. And boom, I was able to pinpoint it within one verse away with one word search. Can you guess what that one word was? It's a little game that I like to play when I'm trying to remember delicately. No. Agag came to uh, King Saul delicately because he said, surely the sting of death has passed. Or is it bleating? What ding, ding, then? ding. Ah. Bleating is the one. Yep. Yeah, so 
uh, delicately it would have worked as well. In fact, yeah, uh, it mentions Malachites in there, so delicately would have worked as well. There's four four times in the Bible where delicately is oh, okay. mentioned, so that would have been pretty good at pinpointing it. Yeah. And bleating two times in the Bible, and it was a oh, verse away. So nice. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of a little game to play. Sometimes when you're trying to figure out where where a certain passage is, try and think of a unique word that's in It'll one of the verses right in that, that yeah, passage. That's cool. So yeah, hooray for Bible apps. So yep. Anyway, Samuel is my number ten. All right, good choice. I considered him for this list. He made the short list. Uh, okay, so my number ten is Laban. Is it? No, I just wanted you to say, "Dang it, Laban!" Dang it, Laban! <laughs> uh, no, my actual number ten is Esther, Queen Esther. Uh, yeah. So, just the fact that you know she's just this innocent uh, young Jewish girl, probably from a poor family. And then suddenly she gets elevated to be the queen over all the land of Persia. Uh, she's, in a sense, the most powerful woman in the world. But even still, it's a very dangerous position. She has to come and go at the king's beck and call. And she dare not enter before the king if he hasn't summoned her. And so she finds out about a plot against her people they're, that they're all going to be killed in uh what a couple of months or something like that or is it like half a year so I don't they had a certain amount of time to prepare but all the same they knew it was coming and she uh prays and fasts and asks everybody to like the whole nation of israel gets revival as they look to her to help save them and uh i mean it's a really terrifying thing that i mean she's got a save her people, but also she might end up dying for it as well. And so just that moment when she says, if I perish, I perish, is so inspiring. And she decides that no matter what, I've got to try and save my people. And I'm, you guys pray for me, pray to God that he'll uh, save me. And then even when she comes in before the king to to request for the life of her people, she goes about it in a very discreet manner. So she invites the king and his best friend Haman to come along to a dinner and makes sure that they're all, the king's feeling all happy and satisfied and she's honored him with this meal. And he asks, what can I do for you? And she says, well, let me give you one more feast uh, and then I'll, I'll ask for you. So she goes about this in a very uh, creative and discreet manner. She doesn't just brazenly stride into the king's hall and ask for the life of her people. No, she makes sure that the king is going to be inclined to really want to hear what she wants to, what she has to ask of him and really be more inclined to to give in to her request. So, I like that. I think Esther is a pretty good role model. Always butter up your man before you ask for something. You bet. Huh. Interesting. It's worked for me. All right. Yeah, that's a good choice. She, she, well, I don't have any women on my top 10, but she was the closest to making it. She probably would have been 11 okay. or 12. I actually have another woman on my list farther up. All right. All right. So my number 10, Queen Esther. Okay. My number nine is Abraham. I thought about putting him on there. Father of the Hebrews. Yep. I think the thing I like best about Abraham is 
uh, the faith that he had to uh, leave the place where he lived and just take his things and take a couple family members and just go off in the middle of nowhere just on the say-so of God. That's that's pretty crazy. You do that. And then, of course, uh, you, you know, always think of him sacrificing Isaac yeah. and how psychotic that seems i know <laughs> if someone did something like that today or if you had heard about someone I doing know. something like that i mean yeah definitely really crazy that someone would actually believe that much that they mm-hmm. would uh, sacrifice their ch- child their only child that they had been promised for years and years i know so yeah i like abraham and even got a fun song you know father abraham oh no I thought that was a fun song. Oh, it's fun for it's kids, biblical. but... It's New Testament. Oh, uh, yeah, boy. Learned so much doctrine from that song as I was a kid. Well, how much doctrine did you learn as a kid? That's from, you told. <laughs> from any from any kid songs? That's you told. Not from any much. song. Uh, probably not much. <laughs> exactly. Father Abraham. Hooray. Yeah, when you're a kid, you're just singing. You're not really thinking about the words He's most of the time. <laughs> yeah, I... I thought about Father Abraham, but uh, I didn't feel he's super relatable to me. Just not a woman of faith, I guess. Guess not. Hmm. Moving on. <laughs> My number nine is Caleb. So I think it's pretty cool and crazy cool that he and Joshua were the only ones of the original generation of the Israelites that left Egypt and got to go into Canaan and all because they gave a good report of the land of Canaan when they came back from from searching it out and I mean it's just interesting how even after uh, the other 10 spies came back and they were giving their bad report uh, and it would have been so easy to just side in with with the popular vote and say, oh, no, no, it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's good enough, like everybody else is saying, but, yeah, we probably shouldn't go in. But, no, they they took a stand and they said, sure, it does, there are tall, walled cities and they're pretty strong, but God's with us. And they these people are going to be like bread on our, butter on our bread. What? <laughs> Something like that. I'm going to look it up. Something like that. You're the butter on my bread. Anyway, so... So just their faith, his and Joshua's, that God could do this. Uh, and it didn't matter how fearsome and mighty the nations looked. Uh, they knew that even though they were just this nation of untrained slave, former slaves, they could defeat these greater and mightier nations. And then 40 years later, he's had to wander through the wilderness with... Uh, the rest of the children of Israel watched them all die off one by one. But 40 years later, he's still as strong as he was when he first went into Canaan. He's uh, still hardy and hale. He, his eyesight hasn't dimmed. And he says, I want the mountain where the sons of Anak are. <laughs> so like the most heavily fort- fortified, uh, strongest, hardest place to defeat. Mm-hmm. He says, I want that. And he goes in and wipes it clean and takes it for himself. And so it's just crazy. He, he's so cool. So that's my number nine, Caleb. 
Would you say Caleb is super relatable? Because that's why you didn't put Abraham. Selah. <laughs> yeah, I like Joshua and Caleb. Good characters. All right, my number eight is Joseph. And Joseph, uh, Jesus' heavenly, or Jesus' earthly father, was a good guy. I like him. And Joseph of Arimathea, another good character, especially with all the Holy Grail myths attached to him. He's kind of cool. <laughs> but, of course, I'm talking about Joseph, he of the many-colored coat. All right, well, let's just talk about him together, because he's, he's also my number eight. Boom. Barimathea. All right, well, uh, why don't you give me... Uh, well, how about this? I'll just run through Joseph's life in about 30 seconds, and then you tell me some things you like about him. Okay. All right, so Joseph, young, his son in his family's house growing up. Of course, then he, he later had a younger son, but he's the runt of the litter, youngest kid, and he's spoiled like many younger kids are. I knew you were going to throw that in there. <laughs> I was going to say, I can really relate to Joseph because I was the youngest kid. Because you were spoiled. No, I was not spoiled. I got picked on by all my older siblings, just uh, like Joseph spoiled was. Spoiled happens from parents, not from no, no, brothers no, no, and no, sisters. No. Anyway. I wasn't spoiled, I'll tell you that. Well, I'll tell you what you were, youngest child. It's just how it happens. Anyway, I this is my some time. I bitterness from the oldest child. This is my time. And so his brothers hate him uh, because of his prophetic dreams, probably because he was being spoiled by his father. Oh, this favorite child. cometh. And so they sell him into slavery. He works his way up to being first in the household where he's a slave and then from there he gets thrown into prison unjustly and he's working in there for a few years and uh, one day actually gets taken out and helps the pharaoh king of all the country of egypt most po uh, powerful country in the world at the time and becomes second in charge of the country mm -hmm. and yep uh, is basically running the most powerful country in the world mm -hmm. after being a slave for however many years so yeah pretty crazy rags to riches stories rags to riches is always fun yeah and uh, i think that story is pretty neat so what are some of the things you like about joseph i really like that even when i guess when he's tempted by potiphar's wife mm -hmm. and uh you know potiphar has entrusted his whole household to him and it would be easy for joseph to uh, get away with it. Potiphar doesn't really know anything that's going on in his house because Joseph oversees everything. Um, he still he still decides that I'm not going to do this wrong thing. And uh, he's so loyal to his master. And he reminds Potiphar's wife that, you know, this is, you know, you shouldn't do this against your husband. And uh, just integrity in the face of temptation mm -hmm. is is really powerful to me hmm. i really like that a lot about him mm -hmm. yep and how he never loses hope yep i like that too yeah how even in the jail uh he doesn't just fall apart and lay down and die but he starts working as hard as he can even there, and so he ends up being the top guy in the jail to where the jailer says, okay, you, you can take care of all the other prisoners and I'm not going to worry about them. I'm just going to leave everything in your hands. And so everything that uh, Joseph does prospers because he looks to God. 
and because he uh, keeps on trying and keeps working. I like that. I mean, ultimately, he's not a self-made man because, you know, God put him where he was. But he is kind of a self-made man, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, what we would call that. Right. Yep. Yeah, and just ultimately, like you said, his whole storyline is just so interesting. Uh, Even after he gets to be uh, second in in command, Zephnath Pania, or whatever his name is, (laughs) and uh, his siblings come down to Egypt in the middle of a famine, and they're uh, trying to get food, and this is his real big chance to get some revenge on them. And he does play with them a little bit, but it's more to see if their hearts have changed at all, if they're just as selfish and arrogant and prideful as they've always been, or if they really do care for each other now. And also just, I I don't know, his wisdom in telling Pharaoh, uh, when he was pulled out of prison, you know, the famine's coming, and I recommend that you uh, do such and such to help get you through the famine. And he's not telling it, telling Pharaoh that with hopes of maybe he'll get put in charge. He's just trying to genuinely look out for the best interests for Pharaoh. And so I think that's another thing that I really like about Joseph is his humility. He's not, each time he's not looking to try and get to the top and and do whatever it takes to be in first position. He's just trying to do what's best for those around him. So that's why he's my number eight. Our number eight. Yeah. All right. Moving on to my number seven. I chose one of the 12 apostles. And it's not Peter. I do like Peter, how brash he was. Always sticking his foot in his mouth. It's not... John the Beloved, although I do like him as well. Some neat things that we find out about him and writing all the books he wrote. Nope, actually my favorite is Thomas. And maybe I like Thomas because he gets a bad rap. You know, what is it everybody always thinks about a Thomas? Doubting Thomas, that's what they call him. Well, let's talk a little bit about Thomas. Uh, What are some of the other things that Thomas has said? Uh, So if you'll recall... When in the story of when Lazarus dies and Jesus and his disciples are going to go go visit their family. And of course, Jesus is going to go raise Lazarus from the dead. Disciples don't know that yet. And Jesus says, uh, let's let's go. Let's go over to Bethany now. And Thomas says, let us also go that we may die with him. And so, you know, Thomas has this sort of dour outlook. People point out, oh, Thomas, he's he's always looking on the on the glass half full side, and you know he's saying, oh, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. But he says, let's go with him, even though we're gonna die. Let's go with Jesus. So hey, he is courageous in this in this instance. And then later, when Thomas says, of course. I won't believe until I can put my finger into his side and into the scars on his hands. So Thomas wouldn't believe after the disciples were all telling him that Jesus had come back to life until he had seen him for himself. Well, none of the other disciples believed either when the women came and told them that they had seen Jesus. They didn't believe until they saw him either. Right. So 
I, I think mean, Thomas gets a bad rap. Yeah, Thomas gets a bad rap. And so maybe that's why I kind of like him. It's not his fault he had a headache the night when the other the other ten remaining disciples saw the resurrected Jesus. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to add. Yep. So he's my number seven. Sticking up for Thomas. I got your back, Tom. <laughs> Alright. Well, my number seven. You were talking about the twelve apostles. My number seven is Peter. Whoa, uh-huh. whoa. So yeah, what you said that he's he's kind of an everyman. He's us. And uh we might have said uh some stupid things that we wish we hadn't said and um uh, So you so you picked this one for being super relatable. Yeah. Well, and he's just an ordinary guy. He's a fisherman, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he makes mistakes, but then the way God turns around and really uses him, uh, and once once Peter decided to, uh, you know, after Jesus Christ, and after Jesus rose from the dead, and Peter dove off the side of the boat and swam to shore to meet him, and Jesus says that basically he forgives him. Uh, for what he's done, uh, it just so touches him that he devotes the rest of his life to God. And so I really like that. It's it's really inspiring how uh, somebody who is just like you and me, so prone to mistakes the way I am, he can be really used of God. And he still made some mistakes even later in life as he was serving but God still greatly used him, and I really find that inspiring. So that's my number seven, the Apostle Peter. All right. My number six is the Old Testament prophet Elijah. That's my number six, too? What? Slash Elisha. No, no, no. Not Elisha. Just Elijah. Elijah beats Elisha every time. They're both really cool, honey. Uh, they're both pretty cool. They both made it onto my list just purely for the coolness factors of their <laughs> stories. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Kind of the, kind of what you think of when you think of Old Testament prophet. Yeah, sort of. They they're the epitome. Bearded, roughly dressed. Yeah. Calling down fire. Right. Working miracles. miracles yeah. Kind Raising of people, some so. people back to life and slaying the bad prophets and. Right. Outrunning the, the chariots. King, right, and telling the king to his face what's going to happen to him and his wife and how they're going to die and pretty heavy stuff like that. Going up in a whirlwind. Oh, wait. Elisha never did that. Oh, whatever. Just Elijah. <laughs> but Elisha had a double portion. A double portion, indeed. Of Elijah's spirit. So there. That's true. So does that mean he was twice as good as Elijah? Hey, now. Elisha called down bears out of the wood. Or does that mean he... Honey, how is Elisha not on your list? You're all about bears. Or does that... A man who could call out bears? Or does that mean that he inherited Elijah's power, as it were, and as the firstborn getting an inheritance would get a double portion? Honey, we're not here to discuss theology. We're here to just say what our favorite characters are. I can't do this with you right now. Well, Elisha didn't actually call those bears. He just sort of stood around. <laughs> yeah, and I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. <laughs> that God sent. So, if Elisha had actually been some sort of 
bear tamer or something, then yes. Yes, he'd be on my list. Yeah, I but, suppose yeah, so. no. Elijah's good, but he was bald, so Elijah gets the nod. <laughs> <laughs> For all of our bald friends out there that are listening. You know who you are. Yeah, they probably aren't listening, though, so don't worry about it. Good point. So, well. Yeah, that's our number six. Elijah. And Elisha. All right, my number five, perhaps the greatest prophet of them all in the Old Testament, Moses. And Moses really did have a really cool story, and we only get to see pieces of it for all that we know about him. Um, you know, there's a bunch of books, either that he wrote or that, uh, or yeah, that he wrote and that tell about him. But uh, some of the really interesting parts, him growing up in Egypt, we don't really find out much about, except I think in Hebrews it says that he was a man great in uh, great in speech, I think it says, or great in words. So I don't know if that was written word or, or spoken word. And uh, I mean, I'm, I think maybe he would have been trained in the in the best schools, I'm probably sure in the world would've. at the yeah. time, since Egypt, again, is is the powerhouse of the world at this time and probably trained uh, as much as was possible uh, physically and yeah really living in the lap of luxury and gives mm -hmm. it up because he's a Jew and wants to be among his people and trying to serve God didn't work out how he was he was wanting it to work out mm -hmm. he has to go into the desert for 40 years and just 10 sheep until God's ready to use him and then after that, man, blowing the lid off. I know. Doing all those sort, all those miracles. I know. You talk about crazy stories. Yep, bringing millions of people on pilgrimage for years and years, and trying to lead them, trying to do what's best. Mm. And I mean, and he's he's very up. patient. There's so many times mm -hmm. that yep. God has said, you know, I'm done with these people. Out of the way, Moses, and I'm gonna. I'll kill them all off, and I'll raise right. up out of you another generation. And Moses says, no, 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 give them another chance. Let their sin be on me. Right. Uh, that's that's love. Right. And just being instrumental in uh, the law being set up and organizing different parts that are really going to be mainstays of Judaism for years and years and years, like the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. And so, yeah. I really like Moses, like like reading about him, the things that he did, and talk about him having a bad temper because he, you know, loses it and kills just the one kills though. an Egyptian. Well, he lost it and oh, killed an Egyptian, buried true. him. Maybe that wasn't a loss of temper, but it certainly was a loss of self control. It was certainly a crime of passion. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem like it was very well thought out, and then loses temper later and and snaps his rod, but. Yeah, those are the only two times, and maybe he lost his temper a bunch of other times, but as far as we know, he only did it <laughs> two times in his life, so I'd say that's a pretty good temper right there. So, yeah. Well, there's, I'd say... Sticking up for you too, Moses. I'd say probably he did have a pretty good temper, because the Bible does record several times where Moses does intervene on Israel's behalf. Yeah, you mentioned that, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it says he was meek. Well, any... The meekest. Just... He really didn't have to. You know, he could have said, right. you know you know what, God, you're right. These people are losers. You can raise up another generation for me. And he didn't. Yeah, and how how good a relationship do you have to have with God to say, no, God, don't do that? I know. <laughs> well, and the, the fact so. that God let him see uh, 
the his back parts. Uh-huh. And uh, it says in another part that uh, God spake to Moses as a face to face, almost. Mm-hmm. Right. So yep. that's just that's yep. just crazy. Pretty special I, guy. I know. I'm. I feel like he's just so incredible. He's not relatable to me at all. <laughs> Some of these other people, I don't think were relatable to you either. I think this was not a applied across the board. Honey, I don't think Elijah and Elisha were super relatable. You just gotta trust to me. I know. So. No, they weren't. It's just their stories were so cool. It's just Moses' story is too cool. I can't even that come close to that. That doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it back to you. <laughs> Leaving my number five, Moses, firmly on my side. He belongs. <laughs> All right. My number five is the other woman on my list. It's Abigail, formerly Nabal's yeah, wife. Thought about her. And then becomes Actually. King David's wife. Mm-hmm. So I find her very relatable. She's a woman <laughs> of good understanding, and she's of a beautiful countenance. <laughs> hey, now. Why are you laughing? You wound me. Go on. But the fact that she is so patient and thoughtful, even though she's married to an absolute horrible jerk of a man. So, David and his... Relatable, huh? No, no, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> Go on. You're, on a, you're wonderful, honey. You're David in this. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, so... Abigail wasn't David's first wife, by the way. <laughs> Go on. Out of the frying pan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I've... Okay, let me gather my thoughts. So... David has been caring for Nabal's sheep and, or at least watching over the men who were caring for them and making sure that nobody ever stole any, any sheep or, uh, or raided their flocks or anything like that. He's protected them. And, uh, it was kind of common courtesy to do something nice if somebody did something nice like that for you. But instead, Nabal just makes basically just makes a rude gesture at David and tells him where to get off. And uh, of course, that makes David really angry. Here, he's done this really nice thing for him, and so he gets all of his warriors together, and they're gonna go and wipe out everything that Nabal has. Well, one of the sheep herders comes to Abigail and says, "Hey, look here. Here's what's happening." Uh, if you don't do something quick, we're all going to die. And I just think it's so interesting that the guy knew not to go to Nabal and say, you've got, there's this band of warriors that are going to come and wipe you out. He knew Nabal was a fool and that there was no use in even trying to go, go to him. But he knew it was worth going to Abigail and that she'd figure something out. And this is in a time when women weren't, uh, super highly regarded. They certainly weren't really sought for their counsel most of the time. And so the fact that the sheep herder went to Abigail means she was really known amongst her household for being a wise woman. And of course, she figures out the perfect thing to appease David and his men. She knows that they've been on the run from Saul. They must be tired and hungry. So she sends them a nice gift of food, sends it out in front of her, and that way they can eat. And, you know, when you once you've eaten, 
Ah, the world doesn't seem like such a bad place after all. And then she comes, she falls down on her face, and she asks that all of Nabal's sins, her his wrongdoings, be laid on her. Because she didn't know that Nabal had done this thing. And if she had known, then she would have made it right. And so she takes the blame completely for Nabal's actions. She could have said, hey, this is my chance to be rid of Nabal. He's such a jerk of a husband. Uh, I could get out of this, this bad relationship. David will kill him off and then I'll be free. Maybe to go find another man that uh, will actually love me and be kind to me. But no, she, she pleads on behalf of her fool of a husband. I see what you did there. Honey, just stop. Nabal means fool in Hebrew, which you have to question any woman who would name... Who would I know, marry someone t- named Fool? Well, you have to question any woman who would name her child Fool. That's terrible. Well, that too. But she's just such an inspiring example as a woman to me of, I guess, everything that a woman should be. Uh, a peacemaker and thinking ahead, planning, and making wise decisions. And really a credit to her husband and her family. So I really like Abigail. My number five. In fact, Strong's translation of Nabal into English is dolt, which I think is an underused word. We need to use that a little bit more. <laughs> just just file that away for future reference. Yeah, I thought about Abigail, but we don't really know too much about her, so I didn't really feel yeah. like putting any putting someone that I knew so little about on my list. Yeah, but just from what we do know of her, she just really shines out in scripture. Sure. All right. My number four is Noah. Of course I don't, Noah. I knew it. I knew it was happening. (laughs) Yep. A lot of neat things about Noah, how long he lived, and, of course, building the ark. The arky arky. Never seeing rain or... Uh, never seeing a, a flood, of course, and gathering the animals. I mean, it could have all been miraculous. Animals just gathered, and God put them on the ark, and then they went to sleep. But I tend to think there was a little bit more to it than that. That he had to, you know, he had he did have to build the ark. So I think he had to gather food for the animals. Possibly had to gather the animals himself, at least, um, at least some of them, and. Possibly he was breeding them so that they could, he could get some uh, good specimens to take on the ark. I mean, he had, what, 100 years? That's true. I hadn't thought of that. So, and huh. uh, just all the different things he had to think about, like how to take care of the waste on the on the ark, assuming it right. wasn't all miraculous, which I'm going to assume it wasn't. Um, but, yeah. So, uh, Noah, always kind of liked the, always liked that story of Noah's ark. And, like Noah. Yeah, well, to use what you said about Abigail, I just don't really feel like we know too much about him. So <laughs> uh, We know more about him than Abigail, I'd say. But true, that's why he's only my number four, because we don't know a whole lot about him. So, back to you. Okay. Well, my number four is purely on this list because his story is so cool. It's okay. Samson. Uh, yeah. All right, so a man who can catch 200 foxes... 
and turn them tail to tail and set them loose with a firebrand and uh and who can slay a lion with his bare hands those are good ones uh he takes the gates of a city up on his shoulders like the posts oh yeah yeah and carries them for a good long distance just to show the men of that city don't mess with me <laughs> and uh obviously he didn't have a happy ending uh and it's kind of sad there's just so much more that could have been done with his life but God did really use him, and uh, yeah, just just so cool. He slayed, he killed so many people in a battle with just the jawbone of an axe, and even in his death, he killed more people than he'd ever killed in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. I do like the. I kind of obviously it's it's really sad, but just from a purely story standpoint, the it's tragic ending. Yeah. Of him, it's one of the best dramas. Being blinded, right, and right. then destroying the. And it's always a woman that's the downfall. In. Of course, that's why there's none of them on my list. And he smiled innocently after he said that. Anything else about Samson? <laughs> no, and you're a doofus. What's awesome. your number three? My number three is Paul. Whether he was the replacement twelfth apostle for Judas Iscariot or not, I think not, but it's possible. Really cool guy. You know, he's all on fire against the Christians. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He's this well-learned man. He's persecuting Christians. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jesus comes to him in a vision or in a, you know, in an actual occurrence, uh, actual appearance and blinds him with his glory. And, you know, he converts uh, based on that experience. And then... Uh, I guess he went into the desert for a few years, right? Into the desert, and some people think yeah, he was it's like three years personally so. discipled by by Jesus we don't while know. he was in the desert. Nope. But uh, then after he's done with that, he comes back, starts going out on missionary journeys. He's going to the, talk to the Jews in their temple, in their uh, synagogues, and the Jews are always rejecting him. And so then he ends up going and talking to Gentiles. And yeah, it's, it's neat to see him go through those different journeys. And then I think whatever, what I like about him even better is his writing and how it's very well thought out, right? Just very well thought out. You can tell he was very intellectual and, uh, he uh, really, really changes, uh, the doctrine of the church. Yeah. Um, God really, uh, used him to set the church on the path there in the first century um, because, you know, without Paul's letters, right. Then uh, we're missing the a church would be in so many problems. We're missing a lot of today. holes. Yeah. I'd say doctrinally. So, yeah. So I like Paul. Yeah, I agree. He's a good guy. Yep. He was a great one. That's my number three, Paul. All right. Tarsus. My number three. Tent maker. My number three is Job. Oh, uh, yes. Of Uz. Uz. There was a man who lived in Uz. Yeah, so we're not sure. I, I've heard people say that he's like uh, one of the first people after the flood, maybe. Could be. I've heard. Uh, one of the greatest people. Maybe around Abraham's time. Yeah. That time Yeah, period. but he was one of the greatest men, if not the greatest man in the East at that point. And... 
uh, this is a man that's got it all, but is super devoted to God. And then in less than a day, probably in less than an hour, uh, just with how fast everything seems to happen, he loses everything. And uh, shortly thereafter, he loses uh, not just all his uh, all his houses and his animals and possessions and, and children, but he also loses his health. Mm-hmm. And even his wife starts to rag on him and say, hey, why do you still trust God? Just go ahead and curse him so that he'll kill you and you can die and end your misery. And I'm paraphrasing here, of course. And then on top of that, his three friends come, and after sitting with him for a little bit, they start uh, talking with him and saying, well, maybe it's actually your fault that all these things happened, and uh, surely you must have some sin hidden somewhere that you haven't confessed. (laughs) Uh, And I mean, he's just... He has had everything that could possibly go wrong, go wrong. And I find him so, his story so encouraging that anytime we think we've got it rough, just go look at, at Job and, and see what all he went through and the trials he went through. And yet he still looked to God. And one of his words, uh, one of the verses that I really like is, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. Mm -hmm. That always just rings in my heart each time I read about it or think about it. That, you know, my life is not my own. If God wants to kill me, that's fine. I am still going to trust that he knows what's best. And uh, some of the extent of his faith is pretty incredible when he says, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And I know that I shall see him. Uh, uh, Things that we just take for granted now in the New Testament era. uh, As Christians, we know that one day we're going to go see Jesus. Uh, But a lot of times, uh, you know, the prophets didn't quite understand the idea of there being a Redeemer coming for them one day. And the fact that Job understood it, I mean, centuries before his time. His faith is just so incredible. And there's there's a whole lot of nuggets of wisdom in his book. Uh, I think his whole story is just an encouragement for anybody that's going through a rough time. They can when Job is lamenting what's happened to him, you can you can sympathize with that. Those those are your cries right along there with Job's. And then when he's still trusting in God, that's where you can see some of the light at the end of the tunnel and understand that, you know what, God's in control of even this. And Job never found out why any of those things happened to him. God never told him. Right, as far as we know. Yeah. And yet he still chose to keep on trusting and believing in God. And I do like the happy ending at at the <laughs> end, that uh, God restores all of his blessings, even more uh, belongings than he'd ever had before, and gives him another ten children. Of course, they can't re- it can't replace the other children that he lost, but uh, at least it's more children to solace his heart. So it's my number three, Job. Well, the new ones were probably better. <sighs> What's your number two? So my number two, King David. And Man, I'm, 
I'm interested to see what your number one's going to be. We've already had Abraham and Moses and now King David. Yeah. Who could be better? Yeah, it's... Jesus? Objectively. Okay, the... by the way. Oh, yeah. We weren't going to... We're not putting beginning. Jesus and God right, and right. the Holy Spirit on here. Obviously, those are the best characters in the Bible. Right. We're talking about the human characters. Right, yep. Okay, go yeah, ahead. I'd say objectively, David is the best character in the Bible. We hear more about him... In at least in the Old Testament, maybe in all the Bible than any other single person. Right. And his story sounds like a comic book story or some sort of adventure novel. Right. Story. So starts off his life and it's almost like a a fairy tale or folk tale. Uh, I always think of like Jack the Giant Killer. Yeah. Where he's this young, humble boy. He's a shepherd, but you know, he still still has some glimpses of greatness when he kills a lion kills a bear kills the goliath the giant of course in that famous story and then um, is promised that he's going to be king of israel someday um, but it hasn't happened yet and so he's uh, still living his humble life and he's friends with the son of the king and the king is jealous because he knows he's going to be the king after him king saul is jealous of him and so it sort of morphs then into a Robin Hood kind of story mm. where he's on the run from the king and unjustly he's he's in the right but he's an outlaw he's living in caves right. and these others uh, other outlaws and other men are coming to him and he has this merry band and uh, and then when he's <clears throat> raiding along the the coast of Israel and uh, King uh, What's that guy's name? But the one Philistine king thinks he's oh yeah yeah he's raiding Israel, but it turns out he's raiding the the enemies of Israel instead. Right, and he's pretending to be crazy. Yeah, and so that's why they uh, they take him in. They don't no, they let him go. No, they he lives with them. Yeah, but they let him go when they think he's crazy. At the one point. Yeah, yeah, and. Yep, and then all of his battle exploits, of course, in that right. point, and then eventually he does become king, and then it's almost like a King Arthur kind of story where yeah. um, it's all of this drama and uh, tragedy that surrounds him with And it comes his... from within his court. And... Right, exactly, and that's what's so tragic about it, you know, his uh, you know mistakes he makes, of course, and then uh, his children are making all these different mistakes his one son absalom rising up in rebellion against him and uh, some of his close advisors like um, joab not being uh, very very helpful to david with the different things he's doing and and ahithophel his greatest counselor going and siding with his son right right so yeah and the whole thing with bathsheba and it's just a really great story the whole thing with david his whole life, very amazing. And, uh, of course, his son Solomon is a great character, but I think we wouldn't have had a great character like Solomon if we didn't have David right, right before paving the way. So, yeah, I'd say objectively the best character in the Bible, maybe just because we know so much about him and we know so much about the amazing things he did and have so many great stories about him. Boy, but, uh, I can't and, I, think. and I do like him a lot, but he's my number two. I can't think what what you would consider to be better than King David. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, what's your number two? All right. Well, my number two is 
A man that you've already mentioned. Would you like to guess? Doeg? Or did I not mention him yet? No. (laughs) Uh, Someone from my list. Moses? Nope. I told you he's not really relatable. It's Paul. Yeah. Yeah. So everything you said, uh, he's kind of, I guess, the New Testament David with all sorts of uh, crazy... Or no, not... Not the New Testament David, the New Testament Job, where he has a lot of afflictions that occur to him. Mm. Job and David, maybe, mm. where he's he's this great character, but he has a lot of hardships. Okay. Yeah, and so everything that you said, but one of the things that I really like about him is can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, all the way down through chapter 12, verse 10. So in that passage, he's talking about all the things that he's suffered. Uh, He's uh, received 39 stripes, uh, beatings with a lash, five times. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. He's been shipwrecked. He's been, uh, he's had weariness and pain, hunger, thirst, He's fasted often. He's been cold and naked. And. Well, we've all been naked. You just don't care, do you? I think Paul was Poor kind of Paul has been through of, all these. Running out of some things there. Uh, let's see. <laughs> what <laughs> else horrible. can I put on this letter? <laughs> naked, yeah. <laughs> anyway. And like he's always been on the run from those who want to kill him of the Jews. And I guess I can see the Job comparison a little bit, just in how hard his life was. Yeah. And then on top of all that, he's had it. We don't know what exactly what it was, but he's uh, had a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet him. And so he's got all these things that he's uh, been dealing with as he's trying to serve Jesus. But then in verse 10 of chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, he says, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And so he's saying there that when I'm weak, then really Christ is strong, and therefore he can be strong in Christ. And so he's turned all these things that would make anybody, any of us just collapse and say, Lord, just just end it out, end it now, take me home. And he said, you know, I, I'm glorying in these. Thank you, God, for these, because I'm weak, but you can be really strong for me right now. And that's just so, so powerful to me and encouraging. Hmm. I mean, I don't know that we're ever going to, you and I are ever going to have it as bad as Paul did. And I sure hope we don't. But anything that we ever go through, uh, we can see it as a chance for Christ to be strong when we are weak. So that's my number two, Paul. He's just so inspiring. And relatable? Sure. I mean, I've written a lot of books of the Bible. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, my number one, you said you couldn't think of who it would be. I've always liked this character. And it's Daniel Ah. in the Old Testament. I always like the story of the young boy who's taken from his 
home during a wartime and brought up in this foreign king's home and raised to be an advisor there and uh, decides he's going to make uh, still make right choices about his diet to uh, go with the dietary laws that he's uh, he grew up with when he was younger back in his home and uh, still going to serve God. Of course, the famous story, Daniel in the lion's den and his faith there. Uh, but just that through, I believe, three different kings in that country where he's living at, he's the top advisor. He is, he's uh, being really well trusted through all the administrations of this government and sort of like Joseph where he uh, just makes himself indispensable. And uh, just the wisdom that he is able to provide for these uh, ungodly foreign kings and how they recognize uh, how useful he is. And uh, even uh, being unbelievers, I think, uh, I mean, they, they sometimes seem to, to believe in his God, or at least uh, they pay him lip service. But just the way that he doesn't compromise on his principles and still makes an impact on the world. Um, I really like that about him, and uh, that's something that I think we can all all shoot for hmm. in our lives. Yeah, good choice. So yeah, yep. And he has a pretty cool, pretty cool book with some pretty neat prophecies and yeah, some I've pretty, not pretty understood a lot of those. Yeah, the I'm trying to remember what chapter it is off the top of my head. It might be chapter seven or chapter eleven, where he just has prophecy after prophecy. Boom, boom, boom. And prophecies about like Alexander the Great, and then mm -hmm. how his uh, how his kingdom will be split into four. And uh, the only explanation, apart from, uh, of course, that it was an actual prophecy that God gave him. Uh, the only explanation that you can come come to from a secular point of view is this must have happened afterward. It must have happened afterward because it's so specific, so detailed about all the different things, and. Um, it didn't happen afterward. It was it was a prophecy, and it's it's really amazing. Yeah. So, yep. I like Daniel. I I agree. David, really great character. I'm guessing that's probably your number one. But I still like Daniel. I have a soft spot soft spot in my heart for him. He's my number one. You thunder stealer, King David is my number one. Um, thump, thump. You know who the real thunder stealers are? I don't want to. Those know. sons of thunder, James and John. Honey. Bow energy. Get off the box. This is my time to Oops. to talk about my favorite character. So, and you already said everything great about him. I know. I know. Saved us some time. Humph. But yeah, just uh, I liked your analogies of Robin Hood and King Arthur. I hadn't thought about that. Oh yeah. Before, but yeah, I really see the parallels. Mm -hmm. uh, and that might be why I've always really liked Arthurian legend and uh, Robin right. Hood because. Right. Uh, they just match David so well. <laughs> it's pretty amazing that they haven't, uh, that Hollywood hasn't made some big budget action movie about David. I know, he totally could. His life is perfect for that. Mm -hmm. there, I mean, if you're going just for like action and you're not even trying to get it as far like super biblically correct, you could totally make some really exciting things happen. Right. But uh, I really like. That he is very relatable. He's very human. Hmm. So uh, we see, uh, I mean, you, you weep with him when he's he's weeping over uh, how unfair it is. You know, he's just trying to follow God and here 
Uh, he's being unfairly persecuted by Saul, and he's been doing everything he could to for the benefit of King Saul. You know, he, he didn't have to get involved and fight the Philistine, fight Goliath, but he did it uh, for God, and he did it to help Israel win the war, and then he enlisted in Saul's army, and he's done all these great things for Saul. And so, what's his thanks? Saul just goes ahead and uh, tries to kill him and chases him all over the country. Uh, and so you, you feel and you agonize with him. And yet those times where he could have killed Saul and he didn't because he realized this is not my place. He had every, what we would say, every right to. And yet he didn't. Uh-huh. And the times where uh, I think one of my favorite stories about David is when he's uh, off in the Philistine lands and he's been serving under that one king and uh, all the Philistines go off to battle against Israel. This is right when Saul and, and his sons are about to die. And David wants to go fight with them and and uh, the Philistines say, no, you better not go with us because otherwise you're going to fight, join up with the Israelites. <laughs> so David and his men go back to their town, their city, uh, Ziklag, and find that it has been raided by another army and burned. And everybody is just in despair. Uh, his men are talking about stoning him. And yet David encouraged himself in God. That phrase right there, that no matter how dark or bleak it is, God is there for you. He's going to you know, encourage yourself in him. And David, instead of just giving up, he turns to God and says, Shall I go after the people that uh, raided our city? Will I overtake them? And God says, Go after them. You're going to take them. And you're going to defeat them. And David recovers everything. Nothing has been lost. Nobody was killed of, of their wives and their children. So just, uh, you know... You talked about how there's so much drama later in David's life, and it's so sad uh, how how his family just falls apart. And yet you see, even in the Psalms, all through his life, he turned to God no matter what it was. And when he made mistakes, he acknowledged them, and he returned to God. He's a, he's a man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just feel like... That verse in Proverbs that says, A just man falleth seven times and riseth again, uh, really applies to David. And uh, it's inspiring, really. If he can do it, if no matter how many times he failed, uh, even amidst all his successes, he still got back up and turned to God, then we can keep doing the same. So that's my number one, King David. This was a good list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I didn't really have any honorable mentions that we didn't already mention except I do like Abishai, one of David's <laughs> mighty men that's always always itching to go go take someone out for David. And yeah, David really is surrounded by a lot of really interesting characters. You could probably do a top 10 supporting cast in a David movie and make it be pretty interesting. Mm, top and uh, let's see. A couple villains biblical villains i always thought pontius Pilate was pretty interesting yeah it's always hard to tell if he's just trying to do the easiest thing 
and doesn't really care about what happens and just kind of goes along with the people or if he, you know, is... Uh, really torn in his heart. Right, or or what exactly is, is going on with him. Uh, so he's kind of an interesting character to me. Nebuchadnezzar. Yep, I he was one of my honorable mentions. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Some of the different weird things. Like really. Living as a beast. Yeah, really evil man, but then after being humbled by God, he turns to God. And then turns away, apparently, and then maybe turns back again. Yeah, I know. So he's, he, he's an interesting He's a pagan fellow. king. He, yeah. <laughs> he goes back and forth. So, yeah. Did you have any other honorable mentions? Yeah, uh, you mentioned Abraham. I did consider him. Samuel as well. You talked about Solomon. Uh, Stephen from the New Testament. Uh-huh. Uh, Lord Talk about the not, sin to their charge. anything about the person. Yeah, I know. So that he didn't really make my list. But, but yeah, still good, interesting good. that he was so forgiving at that mm-hmm. point. Uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Right, the right. three men thrown into the fire. Oh, uh, yeah. I forgot to mention. Oh, and of course, they're better known as. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abed- Abednego. Abednego. But yeah, I forgot to mention. I prefer not to call them by that because those were names after the Babylonian gods. And so. It's the name the Bible calls them. It also gives their real names, though. Yep, but anyway. it calls Daniel Daniel instead of Belteshazzar. You know, that's true. But it does call those other guys by their Babylonian names. Maybe they gotten Interesting. more Im- assimilated with the culture than Daniel. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? What were you going to say? I think that was about it for me. Okay. Uh, four more. I like Ruth and yep. Mordecai, Jonah, and Jacob. <laughs> Jonah's an interesting yeah. character. He's... Mm. He is interesting. Yeah. I never liked him. I don't like him. Yeah, I I guess I misspoke there. But he is an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jacob, I don't I don't really get Jacob. He's kind of interesting, but I've never been a big Jacob fan. Just looking at his life as, as given to us by the scripture, he doesn't seem like a very great man. Yeah. And Ruth, I don't like that people try and make the book of Ruth into a Hollywood love story. <laughs> And make it this great romance when yeah. it really isn't. But yeah, I can see liking Ruth. She has some good qualities. All right. Well, let us know who your favorite Bible characters are. Maybe we missed your favorite. You can let us know by emailing us, tto at cozer.us, or go to our website, tto.cozer.us slash 31. Leave us a note and let us know uh, who we missed. And who we were right on. Wanted to say thanks real quick to Iron Dan, our friend Daniel. He left a couple uh, comments on one of our previous episodes. The books one. Yep. And the movies, right? E- or just books? I think it was just the books episode. He was uh, somewhat agreeing with me on Ready Player One, the rant that I had there. Although there's some things that he still liked about it. And like I said, pretty much everybody that, that I've talked to or that I know of uh, really likes it. So I'm the, I'm the lone wolf on that one. Um, but Daniel backs me up a little bit on it. And then also gave me uh, another book recommendation. And uh, something he mentioned, he was saying uh, the book that he was recommending was a really exciting book, not philosophical. And um, I wanted to make sure that everybody knows I don't just read books that are philosophical. Uh, For a long time, all I read was uh, science fiction and fantasy that had no sort of... Well, I shouldn't say that. That was all I read, but 
I definitely didn't think about if it was uh, something thoughtful or if there was anything deeper uh, for me to learn from them. It was just reading for fun. And so recently I have been switching more towards uh, reading some uh, books that are more thoughtful, but I definitely like to read books just for fun as well. In fact, uh, my number two on the book list, a book by Tim Powers. If you listen to that episode, Tim Powers' books are, are pretty much just for fun. So I thought I'd make that clarification. I'm, I'm not just uh, reading boring uh, philosophical tomes. Uh, I like a good, good adventure as well. So thanks for that comment, Dan. And we'll let you know that our next episode is going to be an interesting one. It's going to be called Ethical Thought Experiments. So tune in for that next week. Do you have anything else real quick, Melissa, before we sign off? I think we pretty much hashed this out. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Brian Kozer. I'm Melissa Kozer. And you've been listening to 10 to 1. All right. So, if you could build the ultimate Bible character, how would you do it? I've been thinking about Here this for a go. long time. I've been thinking Are about this for a long time. Are you serious? Why didn't you tell me this? Here we go. All right. Ultimate Bible character. He would have the hair of Absalom, of course, that long flowing hair. The face of Moses. Now, those that bright face that Moses shining, had shining. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'd give however, him the face of David. Well, he would have He's the ruddy the cheeks of David. No. Yep. David is the poster boy for. Uh, rugged good looks. No, no. He had ruddy cheeks. That just means he had red cheeks. He had acne or something, probably. No. So, you know he was good looking. Face of Moses. Honey, all but the women wanted him. The face of Moses, but the ruddy cheeks of David. So there you go. There you go. The uh, acne of David, you mean? The beard of a mesa. Remember a mesa? When Joab's grabbing his beard to, like, I don't know. I guess that was a thing, like, you grab someone's shoulder nowadays to kind of stop them and get their attention. Maybe that was a thing back then, you grabbed their beard. Or maybe that was like a greeting. Like, you know, I'll grab your beard, you grab mine. I'll give a tug or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, that's the story. You can go look it up. So anyway, he'd have the beard of a mesa. And then he'd have the arms of Samson. Big, burly, strong arms. But the arm hair of Esau. Gotta get some good good red arm hair. Is he gonna have the stature of Goliath? Good idea. Stature of Goliath. Let's add that in there. Um... But specifically the bosom of Abraham, of course. Honey, this is so weird. The most famous bosom in the Bible. You're weird. Uh, back to the arms. Don't forget the fingernails of Nebuchadnezzar in his bestial form. No, that's nasty. If we're building a Bible character, the most awesome character ever, we're not giving him cl- well, nasty, make them long, raggedy like claws. Wolverine. And <laughs> the legs of Here As- we go. <laughs> the legs of Asahel. Remember him? He was uh, Joab. Light as a row. Yeah. Joab's younger brother. Yep. Real fast runner. And then, of course, he's got to be wearing Joseph's coat of many colors and have Goliath's sword and Aaron's rod. One in each hand. Boom. The rod That's, of power and the sword of destiny. That is the ultimate Bible character right there. And he'll have a Bible strapped to his back as well. Of course. All the great Bible characters <laughs> had a book strapped to their backs. A scroll. That's a big scroll. And he'll drive around in a flaming chariot. The flaming chariot of Elijah. Ooh, I didn't think about the flaming chariot. Yeah. Sick. There's a wheel and a wheel in that flaming chariot.